1: Hey everybody, it is TRAGS Mike Petralia back with the season-ending episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. You can follow me and click and subscribe on the Jungle Roar podcast on my YouTube page. You can also follow me on Twitter at TRAGS, T-R-A-G-S. And for this season-ending episode, who else would I have on the most reliable, dependable guest of the Jungle Roar pod over the last two years since we've been on the air yeah the one and only James Rapine do not tell Paul Daner Jr. I told you that because he already thinks your head is too big James for being on this podcast more than anybody else
0: I'm sure he does um, but Paul you lose again my friend because uh, yeah if if you give me that title then I will take it tracks and uh, I appreciate it thanks for having me as always
1: Indeed. And uh, certainly, Paul will have his shot next year, as will the Cincinnati Bengals. How the season ended ended on Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium, not Burrowhead Stadium, but Arrowhead Stadium, uh, was a deep disappointment to many, simply because, James, I think you would agree, uh, on the field, this team had the makeup off the field. I thought it had the makeup as well. It just felt like the Bengals. Were destined at least to get to the Super Bowl, if not win at all. I think if they got to the Super Bowl, they would have won. Uh, but what really I think pains a lot of people following the Bengals is this felt like their year,
0: for sure. I mean, the the fact that they break so many records franchise wise, whether it's ten straight wins, uh, winning and advancing in the postseason in back to back years, winning road game playoff games, which they hadn't done ever until last year in back to back seasons. Just all of these different things, all these walls that they broke down. And it just felt like that they were going to continue to do that. They had already won an arrowhead. And that, you know, the expectation on Saturday night was just so much different than it was last year ahead of the AFC championship game, where it was like, man, this upstart team right. is yeah. is just making a run and, and they have a shot tomorrow. But if they don't win, it's all right. And on Saturday night, it was okay. Yeah. Not only do they have a shot, but they should win the game. And I think if that game's played 10 times, they might win the majority of them, even on the road, but it was the perfect storm of slow start turnover, offensive line breakdowns defense as good as they were. They they gave up and bent early on. They gave up the red zone score to Travis Kelsey and they didn't force turnovers let's be honest here the Patrick Mahomes turnover it was great for the the team the the Bengals but it's not like they forced it it was something self-inflicted by Mahomes so you mix all of that together and you can see why uh, the Bengals are home right now and planning uh, maybe not even planning vacation on vacation versus planning for Super Bowl 57.
1: I think, uh, and let's just get to the obvious and because there are a lot of fans that uh, are loyal subscribers to this podcast, loyal subscribers to your podcast as well, uh, talking all things locked on Bengals. um, That is your podcast. Subscribers to both of these podcasts understand that when Ron Torbert's the referee of a Bengals game in the playoffs. Yeah. Bad things are going to happen. At least that's what's happened in the last two season ending playoff games that he has officiated uh, for the Bengals.
0: And the thing, my, like my beef with officials, and I said this with Unlocked on Bengals, because we could break down each call and, you know, there are calls and non calls on both sides that you could argue that they get right, get wrong. And that's every single week with officiating right. crews. But can you be consistent? And I think that's the part. Where, really, in the past two games, Super Bowl 56, it they let a lot go. They let some hand-fighting go with T. Higgins and, and Jalen Ramsey. They let hand-fighting go all game long. And then on the biggest play of the game, third and, and nine or third and goal from the night, whatever it was, uh, Logan Wilson barely touches Cooper Cup. It's great coverage, and now it's defensive holding, and it gives the Rams a fresh set of doubts. It's just that's inconsistent flashback or flash forward to to Sunday's game and same thing inconsistency Joe Burrow gets drilled well after the play well after throwing the ball against Frank Clark or by Frank Clark right nothing's called he's as calm cool and composed as can be and he yelled at the official because it should have been a penalty especially if you're going to call the one on osai which I probably would have called. I think it's close. I probably would have called it. But if you're going to call that one and decide the game, which that's exactly what that call did, then you certainly have to call the other one. And they didn't. And so the inconsistency from Ron Torbert and his crew is something that certainly stands out. And this is an NFL problem. It's not just a Ron Torbert problem. And it's a bummer because I I do think, you know, Chiefs fans are saying keep crying. Bengals fans are not crying, they're pointing out their beef with it. I don't think it's a Bengals-Chiefs problem. I think it's an NFL problem, and a lot of NFL fans saw that in the AFC title game, and the the ones that didn't have a dog in the fight, right, analysts nationally, uh, locally, in, in the other markets, I, I feel like that that officiating, uh, th- they realize it's an issue, and that's not what you want when you're talking about such a great game between Mahomes and Burrow with a Super Bowl trip on the line.
1: And hashtag NFL rigged was trending after the like immediately after not only immediately after the game, James, several days, a couple of days anyway, after the game. That is I I would think if I'm in the NFL uh, communications department in the uh, PR office, that would bother me. But I think they're just, you know, going to close their eyes and turn the other way and say, keep the money, keep the checks coming into the National Football League and all the owners are going to sign off on it. I just think there is there's absolutely a credibility problem uh, in New York with the NFL,
0: yeah, it's uh, and, and I, I, I don't know I don't know the exact solution, but it, it needs to be more buttoned up because that can't be look, it's the final four. That can't be one of the two best crews that you have. I mean, they they didn't know how to spot the ball on no. the Marquez Valdez gantlin first down. that really wasn't a first down, and I can't believe they ruled it a first down. And that went to New York, by the way, on the challenge. The the whole replay third down was just a joke, and they explained it poorly, and it's still a joke. And I get it. The Bengals got to stop, but it still matters in the moment. Took 90 seconds off the clock. Well, in in, in three and out versus, oh, well, now there's a holding penalty on Eli Apple, and now they have to to play another three downs. And it's just momentum-wise, it changes everything, of course, clockwise. But momentum-wise, it just impacts so much. And... Field position wise, the Chiefs kicked the, the Bengals tail from a field position standpoint, punting wise, and you gave the Chiefs more yards to, to work with on a punt and pin the Bengals back. So that sequence, although the Bengals did get the stop, certainly mattered.
1: My only criticism of Joe Burrow, I think, on Sunday would have been the one would be one pass. You know which pass that was? T, one? Higgins. T. Higgins down the right sideline. And it's the one Brian Cook uh, tipped up and Joshua Williams intercepted. And my daughter, Janie, pointed this out. And she said to me, asked me in a text, she said, they were going up and down the field taking 5, 10, 15 yards. Why didn't they just keep doing that? I ask you, James Rapine, why didn't they just keep doing that?
0: But another yard on that ball and it won't matter.
1: It was, it was a yard short. He got rushed. It got, and and there was a hand in his face it, when he let it, that. It go. was an
0: off balance throw, no doubt, and that's why it's yes. a yard short. No, I mean, if he's throwing on platform, it's a it's a dime, and it's certainly a gets them into the red zone. It might be a touchdown for T. I, I get what he was saying. You know what he was doing there. It's third down. You're looking for a big play. It was a really good play by the Chiefs. But I I agree. You know, if if you can't put that ball where T can get it. And it's going to be a little short where T catches it if there's no defense there, but there's a defense. There's a defender right. there. So you're gonna have to put it over his shoulders. If if that throw isn't perfect, then it could be picked. And Cook did a good job there. Bearcat, by the way. Yes, he I is. know this is a Bengals pod, but I gotta shout him out. You know, fellow Bearcat. And um look, I, I I agree with you. I think he would certainly like to have that one back. I also think he might make that throw again. He might just make sure he puts a little more juice on it. So it's tough. It's it's tough because Burrow was was good, wasn't great. Great Burrow wins that game every time, you know, and and he wasn't great, but he, I thought he was good and, and he was good enough for them to win. But that was one of the final two drives in 10 minutes, you know, with 10 minutes left in the game where they had a chance to take the lead and they didn't. And you do wonder if, he, if they somehow pick up a first down there, if they're able to get going and get in rhythm. And instead they didn't when he took the shot downfield.
1: I know you're not a baseball fan per se. You're not, that's not your number one sport. Football is
0: not, not number one. No, of course, football is.
1: But I'm going to bring up a baseball analogy here and send us back to 2003. Tim Wakefield gives up the game winning homer to Aaron Boone, right? Sends the Yankees to the World Series game seven. Yeah. Yeah. And he was the GOAT. And, and he was crying at his locker. I remember being in the Red Sox clubhouse after that game. Season ended in, in horrific fashion. Yeah. And you know where I'm going with this. Joseph Asai makes a clear mistake. I mean, if he has it to do over again, he lets up. Um, you know, first of all, two holding penalties uh, occurred on the same play, as you uh, wrote uh, on SI.com and AllBengals.com on uh, Monday. Two holdings took place, and the NFL – Uh, has admitted or NFL rules analyst has admitted to one of them on BJ Hill. Trey Hendrickson was also mugged on that play, but obviously Joseph Asai hits Patrick Mahomes running out of bounds. Mahomes was clearly in the white area of the sideline. I don't think that is debatable. It was a mistake. And all you, after the field goal was good or in the moments leading up to the field goal by Harrison Butker that ended the game, You see Cam Sample come over. Later in in highlight uh, videos, you saw Sam Hubbard come over. A few other players came over to console Joseph Asai. In that moment, and even in the locker room afterwards, I felt like I was going back watching Tim Wakefield because it was the same identical type of environment where a player, an athlete, a teammate was being consoled for essentially playing a pivotal role in ending the season. What say yeah. you?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, it sucks. It, it it sucks for a variety of reasons. Obviously, for Joseph, you have to live with that forever. This isn't just until football starts again. It's forever. I mean, these athletes remember that stuff, yep. and, and they don't forget it, no matter how many times you win. You know, I, I guarantee you. For example, if I ask Joe Burrow uh, about certain passes he made in Super Bowl Fifty Six, he'll remember. If I ask him about certain passes he made uh, in his state championship loss in high school, he'll remember. I'm sure maybe back to Pee Wee. I I remember stuff like that, and I'm not on their level of anywhere close. Right. Never got anywhere close. You just you remember certain uh, moments, and and that's one where it's just you hope that he can grow from it, learn from it. And it fuels him to be great because I think Joseph Osaka can be really, really good. I mean, he's 22 years old. We saw how effective he was in the second half of that game. And I, I think he's, you know, it was basically his rookie year because he missed his entire rookie season due to an injury, multiple injuries. So hopefully it fuels him. Hopefully it makes him better. And he learns from it. Hopefully this team learns from it because the margin for error in moments like that and games like that is so thin and you have to be so disciplined and usually there's a team that makes a mistake like that and you never want to be that team and sometimes you are and, and maybe this is a, a way for zach taylor for everybody to, to learn from it and make sure that that doesn't happen again because you, you don't you cover those patriots for a long time there weren't, there weren't many penalties and endings like that and there really aren't in in major playoff games like that but this is one that we'll remember. And the the other part of it is again, the consistency aspect from officiating and I'm not complaining about the call. I'm really not. Right. But it, it decides the game. And so if you're calling that, please be calling it before then or let it go. And don't react to the uh, fan
1: on the play before Samaj P. Ryan's touchdown run Mixon was clearly drilled out of bounds by a secondary tackler. And that Mm -hmm. should have been a penalty now. Granted, it was at the two-yard line, and I think the Chiefs player knew that, that if he takes a personal foul here, it'll mean, what, one yard? uh, You know, Mixon got shoved out of bounds. But at least throw the flag to show, you know, we're on this stuff. But to not throw it in that particular case and then throw it against Joseph aside to essentially decide the game, that's what I think Bengal fans would have a problem with.
0: Yeah, and to me, it's the basketball analogy of – all right, I, I get calling certain things at certain times, but you have to understand with two seconds to go, if you call a foul here, the game's over, and that's what that was. And and to me, if you haven't called it up until then, maybe don't call it because it decides the game. Now, if you flip it, of course, the, you know the Bengals would want that call for Burrow. The Bengals would want that. I get it. I understand it, and I I get why it's called. I'm not even debating the fact that they called it. Right. But you wanted to you you wanted to be consistent, and it Neither wasn't. Not, so for the record. So if they, if they had held the flag, I wouldn't have necessarily argued because clearly they were letting them play until they weren't, and that's the part. Now Osai can't make that mistake. You can't put the uh, the the game in the hands of the officials. He knows that. He's going to learn from it, like you said. Uh, you know the the Wakefield reference, and uh, who knows? I mean, what what happened in two thousand four? Maybe that's uh, that's the precursor to uh, to this Bengals team too.
1: All right, uh, let's move on to some of the uh, issues that the Bengals are going to have moving forward. And these issues are going to come up quickly. First of all, and he was involved in the whole drama after the game, Jermaine Pratt. I find this a fascinating story because he's a free agent, but I think he would be somebody the Bengals would be interested in bringing back. Do you think the dynamic of what happened after the game in the locker room, Pratt vocally and admittedly criticizing Osai, plays a factor in whether the Bengals bring him back or not? No, I don't. You don't think they will anyway, right?
0: I don't think that plays a factor for a few reasons. The first of which, and I'll say it, and no one else might want to say it, but he was right. You can't do that. It was a dumb play. It was stupid, okay? And I get it. Osai feels awful about it. But he's going to admit it was stupid. We all do stupid things. I do stupid things every single day. It was a dumb play that you can't do. And again, I just talked about the officiating and the thought process and all of that stuff. Well, it's also Patrick Mahomes, and it was on the sideline. You just can't do it. So I get why Jermaine Pratt is pissed off. I do. And he's right to be. But what what got the attention? The fact that he wasn't buttoned up and not a good teammate and whatever. A lot of teammates thought that, and they should, right? There's a reason Osai was upset. It it was because he screwed up, not because they got a bad call. He wasn't arguing after. And and so that's the first thing. Emotions run high. They know that. But the reason I don't think Jermaine Pratt is back has more to do with the other viral stuff that he did earlier this year. And it wasn't as viral because it wasn't the AFC championship game, but his tweets. He clearly thinks he's a three-down linebacker. The Bengals have used him as a two and maybe two-and-a-half-down linebacker depending on the week. Clearly, they don't view him as a three-down linebacker. Now, could it change if Luana Rumo gets a head coaching job and a new defensive coordinator comes in and says, oh, no, we we want GP. We want to keep him around for three downs. Maybe. But I just think that he's going to value himself a certain way and the Bengals are going to view him a different way. And because of his usage, he's already... One foot out the door, let's find a place that wants to treat me like a three down linebacker and use me that way. And so I think that's why he doesn't return uh, above anything else is usage and and what he views himself as versus what the Bengals view his his value as Jesse Bates out the door agreed
1: no question
0: Jesse Bates out the door Uh, Houston maybe I don't know Cleveland. I had someone reach out about Cleveland saying that the Browns would be interested. I think that would that be... make
1: sense in that secondary. It's a pretty good you, you defense. Know,
0: you know why it makes sense? And I just put this together as we're talking, tracks. Deshaun Watson's agent is David Mulligetta. Well, there you go. Je- Jesse Bates's agent is David Mulligetta. I'm I'm gonna have to do a video on that the moment we finish oh, here. I'm oh glad I gave God.
1: you a story idea.
0: I can't believe I didn't put that together before. Jesse Bates to the Browns confirmed. Oh boy.
1: Well, well done. Uh, I'm going to give you one more name. And this is the name I think a lot of Bengal fans want to see back on the team. And he is a free agent, Von Bell. Eli
0: Apple? Oh, uh, Von Bell. Okay. <laughs> I just knew you weren't saying Eli Apple, so I figured yeah, I'd, I, I, I'd take I that risk.
1: And, and, and oh. I'm not going to kill Eli Apple like others might.
0: I'm not either. I, I like I, it.
1: I think he actually had a very respectable year. All pro? No, but... Did did he do his job? I think so. But go ahead. I'm going to do a video on
0: James. I'm going to do a video on Eli Apple on CBT too. You better believe that, man. Uh, And and by the way, Granny Smith apples are the best. So not everybody agrees with that, but Granny Smith are the best. I know Dan Horn disagrees, but anyways, I think Von Bell, there there is certainly a path to him returning. And it's interesting because he was sort of, the guy that flew under the radar that they signed in twenty twenty, and going into the that free agent class, I don't think they were like, okay, we have to have Von Bell. They viewed Trey Wayne's a certain way. They wanted to get a corner. They wanted to get DJ Reader. They landed both of those guys, but they end up with Von Bell, and what a, oh my God, they lucked into it type of deal it was. You know, three years, eighteen million dollars. He's been worth every penny. He's been a huge part of this defense, leadership wise. He's made big plays, whether it's the Juju Smith Schuster famous hit on Monday Night Football, right. the the play, uh, you know, in the AFC Championship game. Um, you know, I mean, he's he's made huge, huge plays, I and mean, I'm talking about last year, by the way. Uh, had a bunch of interceptions earlier this season, but I don't think he's great in coverage. I think he's a great tackler. I think he's a great leader. He's decent. But, you know, in coverage, but not great. So what's his value? Is it three years, 21 million? Because at 27 years old, the Bengals should be in on that. Is it three years, 30 million? Because I think then they'll back up a little and say, okay. But to me, I think that they they might let him test the market because he's going to want to test the market. And then they're both going to look around and say, it's a good fit here. Now, if a team blows the doors off, that, then it changes things, and he'll sign elsewhere. But I'm not sure that's going to happen with Eli Apple and I, or with uh, Von Bell, excuse me. And I think that that's that's interesting it in because if you favor. It, yeah, if you could have Von Bell and Dax Hill for the next two to three years in, in that secondary, and and Tyson Anderson behind them, and insert whoever else, I think you feel pretty good about it. The other part of this that matters, Trags, and it just do you keep Louie Arummo? Because if you do, and he doesn't get a head coaching job, which right now, as we record this, the Cardinals are the team interested, and he's interviewing in Arizona today, I believe on Wednesday. Right. It's it's real easy to see the path where he's like, oh, Buddha Baker and Von Bell, <laughs> right? Or I yeah, I want to go get Eli Apple too, because I know what I'm getting with him. Or I want to get... And so if you keep the the core coaching staff here, well, then there's comfort here. And if the dollars are close you're probably picking Joe Burrow and company because you have a chance to win a Super Bowl. So I do think there's a path to him returning, but if a team overwhelms him with an offer or over what, you know, it puts out there a a CJ Uzama type offer, like the the safety equivalent of that to bell, I think the Bengals will back off and and move on. Do you think Brian Callahan is back? Oh, all right. So I'm really torn as we record. Yeah, I, I'm torn here, and and here's why. I love Brian. I I have a great relationship with Brian. I, I've talked to Brian many many times when I don't think anyone in the the Bengals organization, you know, even even knows. Talked to him on on Saturday. Uh, he met my daughter Saturday, who's four weeks old today, by the way. And, and so, good, really good relationship with him. So selfishly, I hope he stays. Because selfishly, I just really like him, and I think he's really good for the city, and having a coach like that with, with Zach is, is awesome. And by the way, I'm not saying he feeds me anything because he doesn't. That's not what I'm saying. I get zero info from Brian that way. I just really like him, and I think he's a great coach. But realistically, I can't believe more teams haven't been in on him. You're telling me that Brian Callahan isn't better at four or $5 million per year then Sean Payton at 17 to 20 in a first and then a pick swap, second, third rounder. He's been in the NFL his entire life. He yep. has a Super Bowl ring. He's completely uh, changed this Bengals offense and helped morph it into what it is now. He's worked with Burrow. He's worked with Matt Stafford. He's worked with Peyton Manning. I think Indy goes after him hard. And it really depends who the, the final decision, who makes that final decision. In Indianapolis, because Brian Callahan makes a lot of sense. He can grow with a young quarterback with a young team that uh has some good pieces, and I think we'll draft a quarterback early, maybe as as early as what the fourth pick or whatever ever they have. It would make a lot of sense. That being said, Jim is calling the shots, and I'm not sure if he's he's going to want Callahan. But I, I think Brian Callahan, NFL lifer someone that uh, a lot of NFL head coach or you know, NFL GMs and, and owners should be going after for their head coaching job. So we'll see. I, I hope Brian, I hope there's one more year. It's a matter of when, not if he gets a head coaching job. That's why I'm willing to selfishly say, I hope he sticks around because it, it'll be just one more year most likely. But uh, at the same time for him, I would be ecstatic if he lands a, a head coaching job.
1: When does the Joe Burrow extension get done?
0: About the time Brian Callahan accepts that Indianapolis Colts job, no, I'm just, kidding. I mean, soon. I I think it happens very quickly. I, I uh, before free agency, it, it, they they get it done. And the thing that the Bengals really need to be direct about, and the word direct is, it might not be the best way to describe it, but Joe, we want to give you the world. And despite all of the the outside perception of the Bengals, they've done a lot in the past couple of years to show Joe Burrow that they're going to do whatever it takes to win. Right. This offseason, I think the next thing is manipulate the cap sum to add as many pieces as possible and not just say, Oh, well, we're we're close to the salary cap. Yeah, but you can restructure and you can move and you can twist and bend. And they don't really do that like like most teams do. And so that's the next step. And after they hit that step, they've done everything. They've showed him that they're willing to draft weapons, that they're willing to be aggressive in the draft, that they're willing to be aggressive in free agency and address the offensive line and other weaknesses and spend money to do so. So does he? is he willing to commit long-term? And by long-term, I don't mean five years. I mean like long, long-term. Eight to 10. If, if I'm the Bengals, that's what I really try to convince him is, look. And maybe they roll out a unique structure where it's a percentage of the cap versus – uh, an actual number, that seems a little edgy for them. I don't know if they'll do that. But the reason I say that is that's going to give them ultimate flexibility to keep everybody and go after other pieces right. and really maximize this window to win. And I, I, I think he's aware of that. And and I wonder how much of this, I mean, he's already rich. He's already rich, rich, rich. Yes. And he's going to get much, much wealthier and and make a ton of money the question is, does he want to become a free agent potentially at, at 31 years old and put himself in position for that to get another huge deal? Or is he willing to do the Patrick Mahomes route, which would really benefit the franchise, still make Burrow rich beyond his wildest dreams, and give them a chance to be you know, competitive in free agency, not just this year and, and next offseason, but in 2026 and 2027, in the years where, where Burrow really should be at his his peak, at his prime. The argument for
1: getting the Burrow deal done,
0: to your point,
1: is, and getting it done sooner rather than later, is to know the variables that you have to work with and not the other way around where you're trying to go after free agents and say, well, we have to save money for Joe Burrow. I think it behooves the Bengals and Katie Blackburn and Troy Blackburn to get the deal done earlier, know what you're, you know, it's like when you go, buy a car and you have so much money, you say, okay, I'm willing to buy this, spend this money, go do it. And I have a cost assurance. And I think that's what the Bengals are looking for when they uh, are talking about Joe Burrow is we know what we have to spend on Joe. Here's the money we set aside. We got the deal done. Here's where we go from here. And I think it behooves the Bengals to operate that way as opposed to the other way around where you're you're playing, you're going back and forth with Joe Burrow and his re- agents and his representatives and you're trying to maybe manipulate the numbers more than you have to. If, if you're following me here, James, I yeah. think yeah, they I... want to do that. I think they want to go forward with an assured number in mind for Joe Burrow and and ideally have the deal done.
0: For sure. And it's, what does he want? What what does he want? And does he want this huge deal that's going to make him rich? And uh, of course, but if he maximizes his value, it will not be in the best interest of winning. Won't knock him for it because guess what I want to do in my career? I want to maximize my value. Cause I don't know m- much like NFL, th- this sports media career can end real quick and you have no idea when the lights just go off and, and you have to change and pivot and do all of those things. And so of course you want to maximize your value every single day. So I'm not going to knock him if he does that, but that doesn't give the Bengals the best chance to win year in and year out. And so is there that balance? Does he maximize? Maybe he takes five years now at the max, right? In, in it defined max I'm $55 million per year, right at the max. And then in, in 2028, 2029 takes a pay cut, takes a haircut and says, I've made my money. Now let's scale it back. Let's go all in on winning. I don't know. But when I look at it long-term, if, if it could be an eight year deal, nine, 10 year deal, where they can have these rolling guarantees and escalators and different clauses, that we don't have to get into the weeds with, but that'll make it easier on the franchise to add players in the moment. Right. Then you do that, but it comes back to the the bending of the cap. If the Bengals aren't willing to bend the cap and they just look at the cap as a flat figure of what two hundred twenty-two million dollars, well, yep. a lot of teams fit way more than the Bengals do under their cap because they manipulate it and push money around and move it around and all of those things, and that's what you have to do with a guy like Joe Burrow on your roster you, to 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 give him the best chance of winning that's what you have to do so that might be part of it is burrow straight up asking his agents straight up asking hey are you willing to to do what you, the the buccaneers did for a few years and all these teams have done maybe not to that extent right but to a, a lesser extent that gives you a little bit of an advantage I think that, that 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 aspect of it and the Bengals might be laughing at me for even suggesting this but I, I think that that certainly matters and can make the difference between having I don't know a, 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 an offensive line issue versus not having an offensive line issue or having that extra pass pressure or having a a fourth receiver that can make a difference all of those things
1: I am not in favor of trading T Higgins I know that there's a theory, a thinking, a working theory out there that you trade him for two number ones or a one and a two. I do not do that. I think he is too valuable on this team. Jamar Chase is in part Jamar Chase because you do have T. Higgins on the other side. Now, both of those guys, Jamar and T. Higgins, were doubled on Sunday, and it impacted what Burrow was able to do, but still Burrow made plays. I think you want T. Higgins on this roster at least next year and long-term going forward, if possible.
0: If you could trade him for Garrett Wilson and a, uh, you know, a second rounder, sure. But you've seen Garrett Wilson play. If you could trade him for Chris Olave and, and a two fine. Well, guess what? You're not getting that. You're getting a first rounder who you don't know, you know, which receivers are going to be available, which ones aren't. It's not a straight up. Oh, we just take a receiver. Well, that's how you end up with trailing Burks for the Titans, where you box yourself into a corner. This Bengals team is so reliant on three receivers that even if they keep Boyd and Higgins and Chase, guess what there is a need for? A speed receiver that can play that fourth spot and actually get open and make a difference and line up in multiple spots. And that's probably a rookie. That's probably not a first rounder. But can you imagine getting rid of T Higgins, what I would say? Well, you better replace T. Higgins and find another receiver. Like that's that's the thing that uh, I, I come exactly. up with when when people talk about Boyd. Uh, well, they could move on from Boyd and say, okay, that sounds great. Well, now you need a slot receiver and you still need another option. And the Bengals have been in the the wide receiver four market tracks for two years now. They were open to drafting a second receiver in Chase's class and it just didn't work. The board didn't fall to them. Same thing goes and, and they didn't have a, any extra picks really in 2021. They love the idea of adding another guy. Well, they weren't able to. And I think that hurt them this season. And we saw it when Chase went down, Higgins went down, Boyd went down. They all missed time. And they're so reliant on three receivers. And and by the way, I'm not complaining about the offense. That's how they're built. That's their strength. Okay. Well to your point, can you really roll the dice on option one A on the guy who skied for a huge touchdown? and has gotten better each and every year that he's played in the league. I don't think so. He's still under contract. I think he will be back in stripes next season. And I don't even think that the Bengals consider trading him this off season.
1: I would concur with that. Tom Brady made his retirement, his second retirement uh, video of 53 seconds on Wednesday morning, released it. I'm going to give you a little bit more than that. As time is winding down on this season ending episode of the jungle world podcast, I'll give you 60 seconds to give me your thoughts on Tom Brady hanging it up not going out to play in Las Vegas not going to Miami he's hanging him up for good
0: good for him who am I to tell him after 23 seasons what he should do you know I I think what Tom has done is never going to be matched no one's ever going to be Tom Brady and do what he he's done and you, you had firsthand experience of it but to watch the the evolution. I mean I remember him at Michigan. I was really young, but I remember watching him. And and to to do that to to then be this all shucks pickup truck driving Super Bowl champion quarterback that's starting in in place of Drew Bledsoe against the Rams and all the way to marrying a supermodel and and throwing, you know, setting a touchdown record to Randy Moss to winning four more Super Bowls in 2014 on. I mean, this dude, he's unbelievable, and not many, if any, have the drive that he does, clearly, the desire to win, and so I don't think there'll ever be another Tom Brady. So congrats to him on retiring, and uh, I'm happy for him. If if he had wanted to play again, I would have been open to it, as you know. I thought he was going to continue. I also think that the emotional toll of the past couple of years clearly uh, impacted him and while I think he's physically capable of playing still, I think emotionally it's it's been a lot. So I, I hope he enjoys the time with his kids.
1: I think that is a great take. We were both fortunate enough on December 18th to see the Bengals and uh, Joe Burrow take on Tom Brady and the Bucks, Bengals yeah. winning that game 34 23. And, uh, you know, little did we know that, uh, you know, a month later, essentially, he would be retiring from football. I'm glad we had the opportunity to witness that.
0: Yeah, it's it's great. It's uh really glad. I have a bunch of videos on my phone of him warming up as do you. And yes. um it's one of his last games, right? I mean, that's yes. that's something you mentioned for a long time. So yeah, I'm excited. It wasn't his best game, no doubt about that, but uh he did show show flashes of of the old Tom and, th- and this year was really a a rough year in general for him. So I- I'm glad he walks away and 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 you could say, hey, he's he still led the Bucks to the playoffs. In all three seasons, he was there, won a Super Bowl. If I had told you that when he signed with Tampa Bay, I think everyone would have signed up for it. So I think even even his last ride was a successful one.
1: He is James Rapine, does an amazing job covering the Bengals for allbengals.com. Locked on Bengals, the only daily podcast dedicated to your team in stripes. You can follow him on Twitter at James Rapine. James, thanks again all season long for joining me throughout Really been a a pleasure. Hopefully we get to do this again next year and maybe all the way to the Super Bowl this time and maybe they can win it. Thanks for watching and downloading this episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. Thanks for watching all season for that matter. You can click and subscribe on the link below.